1: This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben moss Backrat. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next-level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can
0: watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash fyc. This episode is brought to you by cars.com.
1: And judging by that fancy music, it means we are here for part two of the Town Awards, the Townies. And if you are still listening, it means you did not throw your phone into the gutter when you heard some of our awards from the last episode. Maybe you disagree with some of our takes. A few of them were pretty hot takes. But there are awards, the Townies, and we're back with part two. We're going to finish off our different categories, all our different awards, and finish off with the big one, the granddaddy of them all, who won the year. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with part two of The Town Awards. The Townies. Lucas, you still got your tux on? I know it can get a little constricting. No, I, I did an outfit change. Oh, you did? Nice. You're basically Cher. You know, I figure people need to mix it up. Right. They, can, they can feel my outfit when they listen. Sure, your headdress is gorgeous. All right. Let's move on to the next category, the Mia Culpa I Was Wrong Award. This is where we get to hold ourselves accountable. Unfortunately, we've already discussed mine. I have as my Mia Culpa Elvis, which I thought would flop and did not. Um, although I also, my Mia Culpa is I thought Wakanda Forever would be bigger than it is. I thought it would get to a billion and it looks like it'll top out in the 800s or so. Um, so that's a Mia Culpa there. Um, what's yours? I, w- I was wrong about Wakanda Forever too, uh, but mine is uh, more
2: about Netflix and advertising. So five years ago, uh, we had a rather prominent Hollywood publicist in our office, and we went back and forth. And this person and I made a bet that wh- about whether Netflix would introduce advertising within the next five years. And I was v- I very confidently said no way. And as of even January of this year, with less than 12 months to go, I looked like I was in the money. Um, And then I was wrong. And Netflix introduced an advertising tier in November. And I should have known better because every good media business needs... It seemed like they were going in the HBO direction. And I failed to recognize, Grant, that this was five years ago, that they were going to ultimately need to broaden out and bring in advertising and diversify their revenue streams. And I got that one wrong.
1: Well, in your defense, you got it wrong because they were repeatedly telling you, never, ever, ever will we have ads. And they were looking down on it and, you know, crapping all over that business. Let's keep it pure. Netflix stands for no advertising. And then all of a sudden, does. They made a switch. So, you know, I don't want, don't beat yourself up too much about this. Although, if it was, you never want to lose a bet to a publicist. No. No. If, at least at,
2: at least you know, the stakes were only, I think, lunch or a sandwich or something. We do sandwich bets in our
1: office. Okay. Well, all right. That's not that bad. Okay, then how about this? The Suck It Haters I Was Right Award. I want to I hear yours. So I'm going to go... With, well, I had a couple small ones. Like, I predicted Codo would win Best Picture pretty early. Um, I've been, I had been saying that there was a war for power at Paramount Global and the TV side. And then, boom, David Nevins exited... Uh, he was the Showtime head who got into a power fight with George Sheiks and uh, Chris Pat McCarthy. on the back. So, I, so those are two I got right. The third one, though, is I I feel like I was out there saying that Will Smith was coming back too soon and that it was going to backfire and he would be <laughs> rejected by critics and the Academy. And a lot of people were like, you know what? people have moved on, just put the movie out there. And I feel like the reaction now I should say the disclaimer again. I have my wife has a client in that movie. Emancipation is a good movie and he's great in it. And I feel like if they had waited and put this movie out next year, when this whole thing had died down a little more, that the critical and community response to it would have been, uh, would have been better and would have put him in the awards conversation. And at this point, it's not happening for that movie.
2: Yeah, I, I, look, I haven't seen it, so I can't really judge it. I have a hard time believing that that movie was going to be a huge moment culturally, even with without the slap. But but I
1: could be wrong. I think the reviews would have been much better than they ultimately were.
2: Yeah, but, but even a movie like Coda, nobody really saw until after it won Best Picture.
1: It was like one of those movies that awards voters Oh, you're saw. talking the public, whether the public would yeah. have seen it. Yeah, but think about it. I mean, they would have had a chance to position this movie. I mean, uh, Emancipation missed all the deadlines for the award season stuff. It couldn't go to the festivals. They had to do this weird, you know, quasi-private tour where they took it to historically black colleges and universities. And that was all because Will Smith was so radioactive. If this had gotten a traditional rollout, they would have put it in the center of the award season. And I think people would have bought into it and it would have been a much bigger deal. And as it happens, the Apple campaign was bad and the kind of the industry reaction to it was muted. And even people who liked it were kind of afraid to say so. And that's all traced back to the fact that this guy came back too soon. My, ne-
2: my version of this is sort of a meta answer. And it's a little bit weird because I, I actually do think that, that your podcast is a success.
1: Oh, is this something I said on the show? no.
2: Uh, I wrote a piece at the top of the year uh, about how the podcasting industry had not produced a new hit, a new (laughs) mega hit in years. (laughs) How dare you? And it evenly—there were, like, half people in the podcasting industry were like, you nailed it, and half—but then by, like, day two, there's this big backlash within podcasting about how wrong I was and how there are all these new shows. And the fact is is that we've seen over the course of the year one, a lot of other people, including Nick Qua, who's sort of like the godfather of podcast writing, basically write the same story. And you've had a real retrenchment in podcasting more broadly where Spotify's spending less money, Amazon's spending less money. Everybody's realizing that maybe they overspent a little bit on some of these shows. Um, and it seems obvious that you, you, we we have not had shows, and we're not talking about shows that are like nice hits. We're talking about like culture-defining podcasts. We have not yeah, had Yeah, I'm one. not
1: offended. This show is not in those levels. And I agree with you. If you look at the big sort of massive juggernaut hits all of them are shows that were launched three four five more years ago like there isn't you know other than like if megan markle puts out something that does very well its first year and then totally drops off the face of the earth like sure you can do that you can get a big celebrity to to draw an audience for one episode but in terms of new i mean what's the biggest Hit podcast, the last one that launched. What is it? Smartless. The one, the, the
2: one that the one that most people reference is Smartless. Yeah,
1: yeah, and sure that three you know big stars who are friends and funny together, like that's that worked, and they got an insane Amazon deal that like I'm still not quite sure what Amazon is paying for with that deal. They're paying essentially to debut. They get to sell the ads. Yeah, but they're paying for what is it? A week or two of exclusivity. Like who who cares about that in the podcast world? Like I'll just wait a week or two to listen on my preferred platform rather than get it early. Yeah. You know, it was a strange deal. No question. <laughs> all right. I'm not I'm not offended by that, but that's a good one. So let's move to the most annoying media narrative. We touched on this one a little bit in part one. My
2: version of this is I thought all the drama around the Don't Worry Darling movie and Olivia Wilde and all that was... Totally overblown. I do not get why we spent so much time talking about it. I say this to someone who read a lot of it and consumed it. But (laughs) it, it was, how often do we have a director dating or having an affair with someone on their set? It just, I didn't get why it became such an obsession. Um other than the fact that you have like a couple of beautiful people who are dating one another, it didn't feel like a big deal. It felt way blown out of proportion. I thought a lot of the media coverage was sexist. From everything I'm hearing, there, it, 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 it sort of ended up painting Olivia Wilde as the bad actor. When you, if you look at it, okay, well, I'm sure that there's some bad things that her ex-husband or soon-to-be ex-husband Jason Sudeikis has done. Oh, uh, they, were, they
1: were not married. Sorry, partner. Yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. I only know this because I've read mountains of coverage of this, as you have. So I don't, I'm don't. i surprised you are surprised by this, because... No, no, I'm not surprised people, by it. I just... It, the the category's most
2: annoying media narrative,
1: I thought right, it was... All right, all right, that's fair. But you, of all people, should know how big a star Harry Styles is. Yeah. And you should know that when fans of a pop star are upset over a coupling... They tend to be very vocal on social media. I mean, we saw it this year with the Amber Heard saga with Johnny Depp, which is my most annoying media narrative. Whoa, but you you love a good lawsuit. I do, but that's why it was annoying to me. It was so annoying to see Amber Heard painted by the internet as this, you know, shrew who was coming after Johnny's money and was a liar and was called out. I mean, the the Campaign by whether it was bots or organic or however that was ginned up was really, really annoying to see because it totally obscured the merits of the case. And ultimately, I think that was a flawed ruling. I mean, if you look at the fact that Amber Heard was held liable for defamation in a case where she didn't actually say Johnny Depp's name in the Washington Post article, and ultimately, they they ended up settling. And I hope you know the 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 number I saw was ten million. I hope this is now behind both of them. But that was a hugely annoying media narrative for me. See that one? I just t- I will admit I I just I it's it's a good choice because I just opted out.
2: I was like I don't want anything to do with this. <laughs> didn't re- didn't yeah. read about it. Didn't write about it. Didn't
1: do anything with it. It's like me with the AI chatbot. I've just sort of opted out of that storyline. Um, although I think we're going to do a show in the new year about it. So I'm going to have to brush up on it. My runner up for most annoying media narrative is the box office is back, which we kept hearing a bunch all year. And the top gun is a hit. The box office is back. The box office is not back. We're going to end the year 30, 35% down from pre-pandemic 2019. Uh, there's just not enough movies. The box office will not be back until the flow of movies goes back to pre-pandemic, which It's not going to happen in 2023, probably won't happen in 2024. We'll see if it ever happens. But that's my most annoying media narrative runner-up. All right, let's move on to best and worst actor career moves of the year. Let's start with best actor career moves. You can go. I have Nick Cage. Whoa, Nick Cage, really?
2: I don't know if, if anyone has seen The Unbearable uh, Weight of Massive Talent. Really fun movie. Basically, it's two two hours of Nick Cage making fun of himself uh, or having other people make fun of him. This is a guy who, look, he's been a big star at various points in his career. I think prior to this, he was at pretty close to a low point, hadn't had a big movie in a while, wasn't getting paid a lot of money. And that movie completely changed his career trajectory. And it came about because he got that there are a lot of people who
1: think that he's ridiculous and that he basically- Yeah, he became it. self-aware. I mean, that's what happened, right? Is he got, he got in on the joke. And we'll see. But didn't he have a, a critically acclaimed movie in that pig- yeah, as well were people like that.
2: He's been slowly putting it back together, but nobody saw a pig. I watched it on an airplane. Yeah, I actually saw
1: it too. A friend of mine was involved in it, so he asked me to watch it. But I, I Nick Cage has been one of those stars that has sort of eluded me. I've never quite understood. It. Even in the heyday of the Bruckheimer action movies, I never really got him. You didn't or, or him in, in Michael Bay movies. Yeah, I never. I don't know. You're missing out. Not for me. The hairpiece was always weird that like I. I. Was sort of distracted by that. But all right, my pick for best actor career moves is going to Margot Robbie. And I, you know, it's coming off two bombs. This. You got Margot. She's Robbie. coming off of two bombs. Uh, which, you know, Amsterdam and Babylon is bombing as we are talking. Uh, but I gotta th- I gotta say for Actors right now, she seems to be doing it right. The old style way of becoming a real movie star was not in these huge franchises like Marvel or whatever. It was the mid-budget movie, the star-driven vehicle where you could open a movie, quote unquote, the Julia Roberts rom-com or like a Jodie Foster style thriller or something like that where the, the success of the movie was pinned on the star. And you could say, okay, this person is a star now. That's gone. I mean, Hollywood doesn't make those kind of movies, or they're going on Netflix where you don't really have the same kind of judgment of star power. So I think for Margot Robbie, she's doing a nice mix of these big franchise movies. She's going to do an Ocean's Eleven film. She's got Barbie next summer, which I think is going to be a hit. And a lot of people have uh, high hopes for that. She may or may not be doing a Pirates of the Caribbean movie, depending on who you talk to. She says it's dead. Jerry Bruckheimer says it's not dead. Uh, but she's got a bunch of these things. And then she has her own production company where she's doing smaller, more auteur-driven movies like A Babylon or like An Amsterdam, where I don't think she gets blamed when the movies don't do well. Okay, I have a I have a question. Because I agree she's managing her career great. I
2: think she's, she's phenomenally talented. But... Was there something that she did this year that was a good move?
1: Yeah. Well, I do think this year she's made a number of moves. I don't know when exactly things were, deals were done versus when they're announced. But she's got, you know, she, there's there's sort of Disney-style franchise movies. She's producing a, a Big Thunder Mountain movie. She's doing um, a bunch of, like, you know, smaller things, like Tank Girl and things like that. But they are, they are... Of a piece. There's a clear strategy here. And that's what I love to see from these young stars is where they say, okay, this is who I am. This is, these are my strengths. This is where I want to go. And you can see the career architecture happening. Right. And she's great in Babylon. I, I, I will say I'm biased there. Your uh, affection for that movie eludes me. <laughs> that's a separate topic.
2: Mine is, I'm going into music again, but this just feels like there's only one answer to this question, and it's Kanye West. Oh, that's easy. Dude is mentally ill. Come on. He blew up his entire business empire in the span of three weeks. Yeah, sure, he's mentally ill, no question, but um, I'm not I'm not putting it all upon him, and I feel terrible seeing it, but the degree to which he, he has ruined his reputation and career as someone who, if you'd asked me 15 years ago, he would probably be in one of my, or even 10 years ago, one of my five favorite musicians ever.
1: Yeah. And the anti-Semitic stuff is awful and really dangerous. And it, you're right. It is, it is terrible to see. I just, I put a guy like that in a different category than someone who's making informed choices about their career with a competent representation team and is not making the right choices.
2: Okay. So, what do you got? So,
1: mine might be a little controversial, but I'm going to go with Sydney Sweeney. Ah, who I know is the internet's girlfriend and everybody loves her. She's a talented actress, great on White Lotus, great in Euphoria. But, and you see this often, Sydney Sweeney is still with her agency paradigm that she was with when she was a child actor. You see this sometimes when these smaller agencies all of a sudden have a big star. They want to keep them busy and they want to have announcements and they want to have a bunch of things going on. So the star feels like this team is doing great work for her. But I would argue the opposite should be what's happening right now with Sydney Sweeney. She keeps attaching herself to a bunch of random projects. Like there's a Barbarella remake and then there's some, you know, kind of B-level filmmakers. that almost sound like AFM projects where they would sell at a foreign film market with a star like... It doesn't feel like this is a curated and very planned out strategy for Sydney Sweeney. And the opposite of this is we have someone like Zendaya who has made what seems like all the right choices. She feels exclusive. Yes, she has Spider-Man, and Sydney Sweeney will have a Marvel movie. She's, I think, the number two in Madame Webb, opposite Florence Pugh. So she will have a franchise there, but Zendaya had the Spider-Man movies, but she's making super smart choices. Like she's doing this movie, Challengers, which is kind of a tennis set, three couple, you know, threesome type movie that will be in a very adult movie for her with quality filmmaker Luca Guadagnino. And I just feel like Sydney Sweeney should be working, trying at least to work with top filmmakers and put herself in the position to be thought of in a higher and kind of elevated manner. Rather than doing the volume play, which seems to be what she's doing, Florence Pugh is gonna
2: act, uh, gonna act Sydney Sweeney off the stage. That's all. I Well, can that's say.
1: the argument is that people. When I say this to people, they're like, "Well, do we know that Sydney Sweeney can act?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I think at this point we do. She's been in enough. She's done different enough characters. Yeah, she plays that kind of sarcastic teen role really well. So we'll see how she does in more adult roles. But sure, I think she's a good actress. We'll see. You know, the thing with these young actors that get famous or quasi-famous off one or two things, like, there is a long history of it just not working out. I mean, I'm thinking of, like... I mean, think of the other actors who were considered the next big thing. Everyone from, like, Alex Pettifer to Ansel Elgore, Nick Robinson, even Theo James, who's now kind of back thanks to White Lotus. I mean, that's a guy that... People were saying a decade ago was going to be a big action star. never happened. Jai Courtney. I mean, these are just in the past 10 years, people who were kind of identified. So it's a big, big move. Often getting famous and getting roles is one thing, but it's that transition to star. And that is the billion dollar question. Who becomes a star? And it's really, really tough. My runner up for worst career move of the year has got to be Regé-Jean Page, star of Bridgerton who did Gray Man, the Netflix movie, this year, and was so bad in it that he probably torpedoed any chance he had of being the next James Bond. So that's a bummer for him. All right, let's move on. Before we get into our who won the year debate, one multiple choice question for you. Okay. Craziest Adam Aaron stunt? Adam Aaron, my buddy who runs AMC Theaters, the world's largest theater chain, kind of a a crazy CEO, very active on Twitter. These are things that he did this year. What is the craziest? A, he bought a gold and silver mine, not exactly an ancillary business for AMC. He launched AMC credit cards. C, he tried to buy the assets of Cineworld, second largest chain or some of the assets, and failed at that. Uh, D, he launched separate shares of the company called Apes, which if you don't know what Adam Aaron and apes have in common, I can't go into it right now, but it means something. And then E, he then converted those apes shares into equity in order to raise money. What is your craziest Adam Aaron stunt of the year? It's obviously A.
2: I mean, he bought a fucking gold mine. How does that make any sense (laughs) for the owner or the CEO of a movie theater chain?
1: The argument is, is that basically Adam Aaron's talent at AMC has essentially been as a cheerleader of meme stocks to get people to buy into a narrative and raise the stock. So if he can do that with a struggling movie theater chain, he could do that for anybody, including a gold and silver mine. But that, look, that
2: explains why he would create the separate share class with the ape code that trying to buy a damaged rival in Cineworld is just normal business. An AMC credit card, sure, everybody's got credit cards. There is no reasonable explanation for why (laughs) Adam Aaron should, for why a movie theater chain should own a gold mine. None.
1: Mm, Love that guy. All right, yeah, that's probably the right answer. Although maybe F, all of the above, could also qualify. Um, All right. Now we've got the most coveted townie of the year. Craig, can we get a little drum roll here? And here are the candidates. It's, it's like the Oscar best picture. There are multiple candidates here, uh, more than just the usual four or five. We've got Tom Cruise. We've got Bob Iger. We've got Taylor Sheridan. We've got Ryan Murphy. We've got Jenna Ortega. We've got Daniels, the directors of Everything Everywhere All at Once. And then I'm throwing in Michael Nathanson, the media analyst who has been the most bearish on Netflix. This is this is a hard one. So who won the year? I definitely would think about
2: both Taylor Sheridan and the Daniels. But I think push comes to shove it's got to be Tom Cruise. I mean, I I was in Mexico City. That is the City. correct answer. That is the correct answer. I, I was in Mexico City on vacation last week and they released that video of them filming <laughs> the stunts from the next Mission Impossible movie. And I had to stop everything that I did for 12 minutes to watch the insanity of Tom Cruise and Chris McQuarrie setting this stuff up. I, I And I it, that clip went totally viral. I think people are love Top Gun so much, and are, th- this next Mission Impossible movie is got, probably going to be the biggest one the franchise has had. I, yeah, I think he won the year.
1: I think so too. Just the, the we talked about this on the flex, but just, you know, the insane flex of holding the movie for theaters, then grossing 1.4 billion, then holding it off of streaming for eight months or however long, May to December, just to squeeze every last dollar out of every possible window before it went to Paramount Plus this past week. Um, just start to finish, huge flex. Got, nobody's talking about Tom Cruise, the member of the, you know, a uh, cultish Scientology clan. And everybody's talking about Tom Cruise movie star. I think next year, Mission Impossible is going to be huge again, just because of the spillover effect. And we'll see how long it goes, but 60 years old and crushing it. What about the biggest winner relative to where they started? Cause Cruise is already Cruise, right? Like he didn't need. Yeah, one. but he was, uh, you know, the, that would be, we, we... that would be the Daniels for me. Totally. Daniels would not have gotten the gigantic deal at universal that they signed this year, obviously without having directed everything everywhere. They are now in the top, I think, top contender for Best Picture. There's a lot of people who think that movie should be up there with you know the, the, the biggest hits of the year because of how small the budget was and how much it overperformed. You, you took credit for calling CODA early. Who are you calling for Best Picture this year? Oh, interesting. I actually think Top Gun has a chance. Um, I think it'll end up probably being the Fablemans just because of the love really? for Spielberg, I would not be surprised if P- Top Gun or Everything Everywhere or Fablemans got it. Even though nobody's seeing Fablemans, the Academy members are. Are you kidding? They're all seeing it. And you would uh, of the of you'd do Fablemans over Tar for Best Picture? Yeah, no, Tar is not winning Best Picture.
2: I'm just. It, it's
1: just it's just too polarizing. There's people who love it. And then there's people that are like, what? You know, she's great, but what? Yeah, that's my feeling on it. (laughs) Same with Babylon. I still think Babylon's getting a Best Picture nomination. So maybe my, uh, my, my view here is skewed. But let's get back to who won the year. Iger, I think, is a strong candidate here. Because if you look at just the sheer power of personality and reputation it takes to have the Disney board just get down on their knees and say, please come back. We need you. That, that's a big win. But we're going to see how that's going to play out, whether that's a good decision or not. You mean the guy who you said uttered the quote that's going to be
2: most regretted this year <laughs> is the, also the guy who won the year? I don't think so. Yeah, it
1: could be. I don't but, think you, you know, can do but, that. But you could win the year by, by admitting that you had a bad quote not 11 months ago. Um, and I don't, Ryan Murphy here is not bad either. This guy was written off everybody's saying his Netflix deal was a disaster comes back and he, it's like, he went, Oh, you know what? I should probably make some commercial shows. Now Dahmer, huge hit the watcher, huge hit. Um, I I just feel like Ryan Murphy had a big, big year. He did, but I don't know. He was getting paid tons of money. He was huge before. Uh... Yeah. It's almost like he finally delivered on what people expected of him. So you can't really win the year if that's the case. All right. So it's been decreed Tom Cruise, Winner of 2022, he gets the big, the, the giant solid gold townie. Hopefully it won't be like the Golden Globe where he gives it back. All right, Lucas, I'm uh, sad to say, but we have to play you off now.
2: Okay, I will, uh, I will bring my tuxedo to the dry cleaner then.
1: You've, got to, you've been on too long. We got to play you off, unfortunately. This has been the townies. Thank you very much. Uh, we will hopefully do this next year. And who knows who will win 2023. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig, I'm kind of pissed at you. You have not seen Babylon yet. I haven't had much time. It's Christmas. I actually think I'm going to go alone today to Westwood to watch it. So well, you'll need to stake out about seven hours to get there <laughs> and see the movie. It's quite long. I wish it was double. Yeah, no, honestly, I love this movie. I am in the minority. I'm getting kind of destroyed on Twitter. You don't
2: normally voice your opinion. You're not usually a critic.
1: I do not normally, for this reason, um, I think this movie's fantastic. I loved every second of it. It's way too long. It is a a just absolute hubris. Anyone thinks that a person will sit and watch a three hour and 10 minute movie about the origins of Hollywood. But I thought it was fantastic. I was entertained the entire time. And, uh, that is where my prediction comes from. It is that it is tanking at the box office. It did like three and a half million over its opening frame. Now they're blaming Paramount's blaming the weather. I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) I don't think this movie is ever going to make a profit. Um, I'm shocked that it got greenlit at the, they say it's an $80 million budget. I have heard that it is significantly more. Uh, I it is, there are two separate things here. The fact that this movie got made, which is a conundrum, but now that it is made, I'm going to say that I liked it a lot and I'm glad that it was. Why is it a conundrum that it got made? Because what's the audience for this movie? It's me, basically. <laughs> it, there's <laughs> no audience for this movie. It, uh, it, what you, it doesn't, mean, this
2: is a, this is a drug riddled movie about Hollywood with, with sex and partying.
1: There's a, there's a huge okay. audience for that. Fine, but it doesn't, I mean, I don't want to give anything away, but it is, it is very auteurish. Mm-hmm. It is not, there are not characters that you can you know, relate to and that you follow through. Like I thought the characters were great and I liked Brad Pitt and Margot Robbie and the new guy, Diego Calva. I thought they were great, but I don't see a path. This movie has to be executed so well that it becomes an awards darling. I do think it'll get a best picture nomination because it's kind of polarizing and there's mm-hmm. a contingent in Hollywood that actually really likes this and and admires the balls that Damien Chazelle has to make it. But when you greenlight this movie, you are betting on the best possible execution and you are betting on a fluke that young people are interested in this. Because I don't see anyone except aficionados of old Hollywood and maybe Margot Robbie, Brad Pitt superfans going to see this. That's Fair and now you have the fact that it's being kind of it's very polarizing amongst critics, Rotten Tomatoes score is not great, um and it's going to lose a bunch of money. Although it will probably do much better overseas where they have a much bigger appetite for this stuff. It's also the length. Like this this is I mean we've this is my hobby horse here. Nobody has time for a 3 hour and 10 minute movie. So I I that's the business aspect of it, but having said that, I really enjoyed it. And that's where my <laughs> prediction comes. I think I think that all of the talk right now about Damien Chazelle being in director jail, no one's ever going to give him a big budget again. I think that is a little premature. I think this movie is not an embarrassment. He will have fans in the studio system. He will get another movie very soon. It will not be on this level with this level of budget. And I think he'll have to work in, you know, smaller budget land for a little bit longer. Um, but that's fine. That's where he started. You know, he did Whiplash. He did La La Land, which was only about a $30 million budget. Like, that's fine for him. He will not be in director jail, is my prediction. I'm buying all the stock. Whoever's selling, come to me. I know, you're gonna love it. Listen, me and Sean Fantasy is also a fan of this movie, yeah. and I, I trust his opinion, host of The Big Picture. Uh, I, you know, there are critics who love it. There are people in the Academy who love it? I tweeted about it, and I got some texts from Academy members like, "I'm totally voting for this." I appreciate that it's a risky endeavor that he like took a shot,
2: went for it. It is way too damn long. Th- if we could take anything away from this s- this year in the town, the thing I'm the most passionate about, the episode that I'm the most passionate about, is that all these movies are too goddamn long. But you know, Spider Man is now two hours and forty minutes now. So you know what? Sure, Damien Chazelle, you can make your three hour movie because every movie's three hours now.
1: I don't know. Avatar is its own thing. Like, that's also too long. But, like, you can at least kind of luxuriate in the experience of Avatar. This is not that movie. This is fine at home if you want to watch it at home. This is a, a, it's really well made and, like, really funny. But it does not need to be this long. And most movies don't. The freaking Whitney Houston biopic is two and a half hours. I couldn't believe that. I was thinking of seeing that this past week. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. When is the last time a drama was under two hours and it was fantastic? Find me one of those. I, I know there, there are they do exist, but it's becoming increasingly difficult to find one. And Damien Chazelle, your next move: ninety minutes, yeah. just all no fat, all meat, amazing, best picture winner in twenty twenty four. I can't wait. All right, that's the show for today. We will see you next year. I want to thank everybody who's been a guest on the town this year. I want to thank all of our contributors. I want to thank producer Craig for his amazing, amazing producing skills and uh, for everything he does for the show. And I want to thank you for listening. We'll see you in 2023.